I do. Uh, especially, um, I, love, I must admit, I love the beer ads as well. Those old VB ads. They're more 80s, I guess. But, um, yeah, 70s av advertising. Um, in fact, Coke kept that theme going uh, of the real thing. That was a very short ad, wasn't it? We're used to longer ads these days. That was like 15 seconds. That was, that was, uh, we're used to longer ones. But they kept that theme of the real thing in its advertising well into the 1990s. So you might have, um, you know, I've seen, if you're bored one day on a, on a windy afternoon, um, uh, Google or YouTube, uh, Coke ads from the 1990s, and they still kept up that real thing. I remember another Coke ad, uh, again, years ago, where they did a, a blind comparison. So uh, it, it set up between Coke and some pretender, uh, some fake, uh, Pepsi, for example, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there were two blank, unlabelled um, drinks were served up side by side on a table and, and the young cool person or whoever they were trying to uh, target in their, in their marketing tasted both and of course chose Coca-Cola, the real thing, uh, because the other one, well the other one was just a fake. Well, how can we tell the real Christians from the fakes? How do I know that I'm not a fake, that I'm the real thing, that I'm a real follower of Jesus? And what assurance is there anyway that I can be confident that I will stand before God one day and be declared righteous, friends with God? How do we know? Now, if you're a Christian, there's a very real chance that you've, uh, you've, you've thought, those thoughts have crossed your mind. Those questions you've thought about before. Perhaps even now you might be wrestling with those sort of questions. Those questions of um, assurance. Is it real in me? Is Jesus real in me? Well, why don't we pray and we'll ask God to speak to us and help us to understand his word, help us to get to know the real Jesus a little more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you're here with us this morning. We thank you that you have called us together as your church. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd speak to us, that we'd hear your words, we'd put them into practice. And Lord, thank you for the assurance we have in knowing you. Amen. So if you've got a Bible um, that would be very really useful to have, page 1208 in the Church Bibles, uh, and um, there's an outline there also in your bulletin, which you would have got as you came in. We're going to have a... Um, as I do when I preach most of the time, I think, we're going to have a bit of a Q&A at the end and we'll see how that goes. So if you've got a question or if you've got a comment, scribble it down as you go through and then at the end you might want to share that and that'll be great and a great way to encourage each other. Um, excellent. So here's the question though, how do we know? How do we know the real from the fake? Uh, that's the question that the Apostle John wants to answer in this little letter of 1 John. And it's the big idea covered in chapter 2. As we heard last week, there were some fake Christians. Uh, and, and we'll read later on that in verse 19 that these fake Christians had come out of the Christian community and are not only teaching lies, but they're causing real Christians to doubt. So part of John's reason for writing, and again we see this later in this chapter, is to encourage these real Christians, but also to watch out for these fake ones. Uh, that the theologians call them secessionists. That's a very tough word to say. Um, but they, they're, in other words, they've, they're, they've left the church. 
they've been withdrawn from the, commu uh, the Christian community. So these secessionists we saw last week, they claim to know Christ but are in fact walking in darkness. You might remember that from Michael preaching to us last week. Uh, they claim to be without sin. Again, 1, verse 9 and 10. They claim to know God but do not obey Christ. Now we're jumping into chapter 2. And they denied that he was the Christ. So we'll get to that later in the book as well. And they denied... Uh, they denied Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. That sort of makes sense if you look at the, the, the second, um, second point because if they were without sin, there's no need for them to have an atoning sacrifice. So that, that's the, the secession, that's these false teachers who are affecting the Christian community that one John or John the Apostle writes to. So John says to his readers, watch out. Watch out for these false teachers, these fakes. And here's how you know that you're not one of them, he says. Here's why you're different. Well, we see it in the first. It's in our walk. <laughs> now, you know, you know, there are people who have a particular type of walk. You know, they have a, I can't do a very good strut, so they strut like that. Um, they strut along. I, I, you see them now and then. They have a, they have a walk. Um, there's, there's a confidence in their sort of... They're strutting. Maybe, they, maybe they're at the... Um, I'm not very good at it, am I? No. <laughs> trying really hard. I don't have a strut. Maybe I should have worked on it all week. Anyway, there you go. But maybe the gym in front of the mirror, they strut and they walk along. Um, in fact, apparently, you can tell a lot about a person by their walk. Yes. Experts say, I don't know who these experts are, by the way, but I'm just going to say it. It's a little like our handwriting. There you go. How about that? Let's pick things up halfway through verse 5. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, is John referring to Jesus' physical style of walking, his gait, or something like that? Well, of course not. No. Now, what does he mean? Let's jump back to verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's the, these secessionists. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Do you see? Real Christians, real Christians obey Jesus. They obey his word. They walk as Jesus did. They live like Jesus. In other words, you can tell whether someone is real or fake by their walk, <laughs> how they live, their obedience to Jesus. Now, in the rest of this chapter, the Apostle will give two clear examples of what such obedience looks like. And it's all centred on who we love. So back to our original question. How do we know? How do I know? How, how can we tell the real Christians from the fakes? Well, by, loving, by our love for each other. Now, verses 7 and 8 really act as, as, as transitional verses, do, do, moving readers from the general requirement of obedience in verses 3 to 6 that we saw to the specific command to love fellow believers in verses 9 to 11. But at first reading, if you remember reading verses 7 and 8, they seem to contradict each other. So how can John say he's, he's not writing a new command but an old one in verse 7 and then in verse 8, he says he's writing a new command. How does he do that? Well, what he writes next in verses 9 to 11, true, is something 
they have known are from the beginning, the time they first heard the gospel, they've known Jesus. They've known this for a, little, for a while. This is nothing new. It is old. So what then is the new command? The, well, the clue comes from John's gospel. Chapter 13, verses 34. Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. He's about to tell them he's going to the cross. And he says, a new command I give you, love one another. What does he say next? Who knows? As I have loved you. That's the new command. This is how they must love. The truth of this new command, verse 8, is seen not only in Jesus, the apostle says here, by his death for our sin, but also in them, in how they love each other. Isn't that incredible? We pick up on that theme later in chapter 4 as well. In their love for one another. So real Christians love like Jesus. See verse 9. Anyone who claims, it's another reference here to these false teachers, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or, brother or sister in Christ is still in the darkness. It's their hatred for fellow believers which shows they are still in the darkness, that shows they're fake, they're not the real thing. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. You see, you don't stumble around when you're in the light, generally. That's what you do in the darkness. When you live without Jesus in the darkness, well, that's when you'll stumble. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going. He stumbles into sin because the darkness has blinded him. So here's what we need to ask ourselves. As we read this, are you loving your church? Now, I'm not talking about the building. It's a lovely building. We had a funeral during the week and uh, lots of good things were said. It was, it was very nice. Lots of visitors. And um, a lot of people loved our building. Isn't that lovely? I said, that's great. Thank you. Um, but that's all I said. But we're not talking about the building here, are we? The building's great. It keeps us out of the wind. If we were over in the old building, we'd still feel the wind. Isn't that nice? <laughs> um, and not, not, we're not talking about the history either. There's a lot of history here. Uh, we're not talking about the tradition or the songs we sing, or the structure of the service, or anything like that. No, no, we're talking about the people. We need to ask ourselves, are we loving each other, the people around you? Are you loving your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we loving like Jesus, as I have loved you? Now, what does Jesus' love look like? I mean, it's sacrificial, isn't it? Uh, it's serving even though it hurts. It takes the initiative. That's what Jesus' love does. Because that's the type of love we're talking about here. It's the love of Jesus. In a few weeks' time, we'll get to 1 John 4, verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I want to suggest to you three ways, just practical ways. Some are a little bit out there. Um, three ways you can love your church. Right, here's the first one. You've heard me talk about this before. Um, of course, it's in our conversations, isn't it? Our gospel conversations that build up, that are thoughtful, that are kind, uh, that listen, that encourage, that spur on. Here's an example of a good, loving gospel conversation that you can have. Make a phone call, invite someone out for coffee, have a beer with them, someone who hasn't been to church for a little while, what we've missed for a while, that you know them, 
Now, you don't, you don't want to take them on a guilt trip. That's not the purpose of that little conversation. <laughs> but you want to encourage them. See how they're doing. Tell them you love them, that we've missed them, and so on. There's one example, gospel conversations. Here's another one. How do we show love to each other in God's church? Well, we can do the jobs that no one else wants to do. Now, last week in, um, at the AGM, we had a great AGM, we allocated Dennis to do the bathrooms for the next two years. I think it was what? something like that. Um, yes. <laughs> no, just, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, the second thing is do the jobs that no one else wants to do. Let me give you an example of that. Now, every, it's not to do with bathrooms. Every Sunday, Sunday uh, during school term time, the chairs on this side of the room need to be stacked up on the side and the last sort of four rows need to be stacked up at the back on top of each other and the same over here. We do that for the evening service. Um, and so the evening service runs well. It sort of sits around this area if you've never been and we, we face this direction. So how could you love your brothers and sisters in Christ that meet in the evening? You can stack chairs. How good's that? You can stack chairs. Now, it's not for everyone. I do not want to see some people stacking chairs. Uh, if you're, uh, you know who you are if you're over a certain age, but there's a lot of us who are very able-bodied and uh, we can stack chairs very well. Okay, there's another example, a bit, bit of a different example. Let me give you one more. Uh, now, of course, we can love each other outside of these walls, can't we? Of course we can as God's community, and we do outside of church time. But here's the reality. Here's the reality that due to the busyness of life and stuff we get caught up with, and that's okay, we can find that difficult to love each other outside of these walls. Um, we don't often see each other during the week. That's okay. So here's my third practical example of how we can show love to each other as God's church. Well, you know this already because you're here. <laughs> we can be here, of course. Every week, I say, come early, come often. That's my little line. But here's the reality. You see, you can't love and you can't serve one another if you are not here. It's true, isn't it? If you're not here, you can't serve and love one another. In fact, you can't be loved, you can't be served if you're not here. Or to put it like this, you will not love God's people very well if you're not meeting with God's people. It's true, isn't it? Okay. Well, at the end of verse 11, John, again, associates living in darkness with hating fellow believers. They're strong words. But then he says, that's not you. That's not you, he says to his readers. And verses 12 to 14 are great words of assurance to the person who trusts in Jesus. You're not like the others. Your sins have been forgiven on account of Jesus. Fathers, you've known Jesus from the beginning when the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, as John writes in his gospel. Young men, you have overcome the evil one. How have you done that? Look at verse 14. They are strong, and they are strong because the word of God lives in them. So young men and young women, there's a few of you here today, how can you be confident that when you stand before God one day you'll be declared righteous? Well, because you find your strength, as the end of the chapter actually says, by remaining in Jesus or having the word of God live in you. That's where you find your strength, not in your muscles, not in anything else. You find your strength in the word of God living in you. So if this is what they are, then it makes sense, God says, to not love the world. The things of this world will not last. 
Don't forget who you are. Those things of the world don't last. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So how do we know? How do we know whether we're the real thing or the fake? Well, by not loving the world. Verses 12 to 15. Look at verse 15. If you love the world, you can't possibly love the Father. The two contradict each other. And in verse 16, three killers of the faith are mentioned. The first one is more general. The second and third are more specific. The first one, cravings of sinful man, lust or covetousness, boasting. Boasting about what he has and does, possessions, greed, that sort of thing. Three things, three faith killers. There they are. These things destroy and they're not from God. John says the things of this world, like things like this, will not last. They will pass away. Its desires will not last. The desires of the world will not last. They pass away. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. You know, the first time I spoke on this passage, this, these few verses, verses uh, uh, 15 to 17, it was in the early 1990s. Um, that was quite a while ago. In fact, I, I, the talk was an important step in Michelle and I getting together, would you believe? How so? Well, uh, thanks for asking. Let me explain. Um, so, <laughs> and I hope I get this right because Michelle's here and Michelle's parents are here as well who know half this story. I was a youth group leader leading on a, a year nine camp um, down at Kaluna, which is down to the west of Nara, not clo close to here really. And um, the week prior to that camp, I led another youth group camp at Kaluna as a general helper and Michelle was a leader on that camp. That one was for Year 12ers. So she was a leader of the Year 12 group. I was the leader of the Year 9 group. Anyway, Michelle and I got to know each other. Our eyes met over the campfire. <laughs> we even sat next to each other on the bus on the way home. It was very special. By the end of that camp, I... I I still had another one to go, so I had a day break or something like that, and then I was off to my year nine one, um, which Michelle wasn't on. Now, one of the roles I was given on my year nine camp was to speak on these verses as a leader. So I needed an illustration of the things of the world. What was I going to use? So, and I also needed an excuse to go and see Michelle again. So I asked if I could drop in and borrow some of her sister's girly magazines, no, no that, that sounds bad. No, her, um, Clio, Cosmo, Dolly, those sort of magazines, they're, they're not really around as much anymore. Um, now, it was nice to see Michelle again, and she gave me a good stack of these magazines, um, and uh, I assured her that I would um, return them to her safely. Now, they weren't her magazines, they were her sister's magazines, and I was very thankful to be lent these magazines. It was helpful for my talk. Anyway, the time came to give the talk, and uh, it was around a campfire, and things got a little heated, so to speak. I got a bit carried away as a nine, it was about 19, 20, that sort of area, wasn't I? 19, a young pup, there you go. That was, a good, that was, that was nice being 19, remember that? Things didn't hurt back then. Um, anyway, <laughs> things got a little heated, and I got a bit carried away when I was explaining to these teenagers how the things of this world will not last. And I held up these magazines, <laughs> Michelle's sister's magazines, and I said, rubbish like this, lust, boasting, the cravings of sinful man, and I threw them all into the fire, and they burned. 
<laughs> and I shouted out to them, the things of this world do not last. Oh dear. And a week or so later, uh, Michelle's sister asked about her magazines. <laughs> and Michelle and I went on our first date. <laughs> um, so here's a question for us. Why do we prioritise the things of the world over the things of God when we know, when we know that they do not last? Why do we do that? Why do we do it? You know, people rarely stop following Jesus because they just don't like church or someone said something offensive to them or they can't align themselves with a denomination that believes such and such. They rarely stop following Jesus for those reasons. You know why people stop following Jesus? Because they love the world. That's why. That's what it is. The other things are just excuses. We're being honest with ourselves. So here's the simple litmus test. Who do you love more? The world or Jesus? Who do you love more? The world or Jesus? Think about it right now. See, if you're wondering, well, how would I know that? Well, I think you've probably answered your own question. Today's a day for change. Today's a day for repentance. Today's a day to come back to Jesus. Okay, so here's where we've gone so far. How do we know we're the real thing? Where's the assurance? Well, it's in our walk. We are obedience, obedience to God's command. We put Jesus' words into practice. Uh, we love each other. That's how we, we show that. We love the church. We, and we do that because what God has done in us. Remember that blessed assurance we read in verses 12 to, 12 to uh, 14. We're not like the others, John says to those Christians. And next, so we don't love the world. And finally, John warns his readers, there are some people who have come from you, it's the church, that will lead you astray. They're anti-Jesus. We'll see how in a moment. So the apostle says, watch out for these people who are anti-Christ, against Jesus. They will come along. They're the fakes. Make sure you remain in the real thing, and that is Jesus. That's how you know you're the real thing. You remain in the real thing. <laughs> you keep trusting Jesus and using the language of John 15, you remain in his words. We remain in Jesus. John clearly defines who is an antichrist. Uh, it's got nothing to do with pitchforks and devil's horns and people having a reddish glow to them. <laughs> nothing to do with that. Or being a world leader. You know how many people, Christians, suspected Hitler as being um, the antichrist? or Napoleon, or Nero, going back even further. Um, an antichrist is simply someone who, is, who denies Christ. Um, as John says in verse 18, and there's, been, there's lots of them. This is typical of the days we live in, the days the Apostle John lived in. That's the last days as we wait for Jesus to return, as um, we read in Hebrews, the last hour. So verse 22, who, who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist, he denies the Father and the Son. So watch out for such people. They may even come from the church. They're voices, voices that deny Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. These people are the fakes, but you, says John, no, no, you're not like them. You've had an anointing, 
uh, anointing meaning you've been given the spirit who teaches us and shows us who Jesus really is. That's what a Christian person receives when they put their trust in Jesus. So verse 24, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. That is, remain in Jesus, remain in his word. He's the real thing. In fact, he's all the assurance we need. Why don't we pray? We'll leave it there. And then we'll, we'll, if there's any questions we'll have a, or comments, we'll have a time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. Um, we pray, we thank you so much for the assurance we have as we believe in you and we trust in you, believe in you. Um, Lord, we need to watch out for uh, people who are anti-you, anti-Jesus. But Lord, we know um, what you've done for us. And as we live that out in our lives, it's evidence, I guess, of, of your work in us. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death on the cross for us. And we thank you for the assurance we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.